you are starting. Ah, uh, yes. We'd like it to be known for those of you who are new or who have forgotten that it was long ago and far away that one particular person originated this space. And I'd like her to tell that story, if she would. Miss Ava Daubert, who's located in Freiburg, Germany, which is soon to become even more famous. If she would tell the story of how this meeting came about. Could you just put that into the record again, please? Well, but we have to ask someone else how actually the study group originated because that was before I stepped into this game world again. We'll start your chapter. You have to start okay. chapter. Okay, so I dropped into this group sometime around, I think, 2022 and was delighted to be able to meet you guys once a week and and do this work and share and so on. And then... In, in fall, for some reason, I think it was somehow the numbers went down and this whole study group broke, like uh, dissolved. And I was really angry and sad about that. And so half a year later, we met in Portugal on a lab. And one day we were sitting and having lunch and I said, Clinton, I want the study group to, to, to re-emerge. What would it take to... Yeah, so that you would start this group again. And you said 35 committed people. So I started asking people, and by the end of the day, I had 50 committed people yeah. <laughs> on my list who wanted this study group to reemerge. And so here we are. Well, thank well, you for saying that, telling us again. I mean, it, it's so surprising how commitment or one person or one committed person or a person with an idea and commitment to the idea can really make a difference. I, today I just got to speak with a man named Jim Ruff who is committed to one idea and so I, I interviewed him 10 years after the Guy and Road team interview and he's still committed to the one idea and it's just so for me it was so enlivening so I've just felt so glad that here's this guy basically single-handedly promoting a certain kind of feminine. meeting technology what feminine meeting technology I yeah would say. feminine works in a circle works by talking does not work by voting or agreeing or disagreeing and it's this really dynamic facilitation wisdom council procedure and it's it's just so cool and so anyway it was it's just great to, that one person one person can in you know infect thousands of people with a possibility and that could be that's each of us and so Ava Dalbert <laughs> you know there's hundreds of people who listen to the recordings and watch the audio and the video of the recordings. So it's not just here. So we can, can applaud for them too. We're going to applaud for all those people who watch in between. <laughs> Except for when they listen. <laughs> when okay. they the audio, I'm wondering like, what's going on. Okay, we're going to turn up the audio. <laughs>
so complicated. Uh, yeah. Does anybody have any? Okay, I I want to say this part because we've been going into this beyond repair article, and I think I am surprised. Let's say I'm surprised that there's a part of this feels very. This is a you know it's a selfish personal story that it it feels almost natural for me like this article it's like but of course it you know it makes sense and however I've been surprisingly been invited for some couples coaching lately which I nobody ever asked me for couples coaching and lately people have been asking me and with people who are really willing both the men and the women completely willing to say, how do I shed off this heavy bird of my childhood so I can actually be with my partner and with children? Often it involves children. And even in the face of all that willingness, there's just all these old thoughtware and um, childhood wounds and gremlin contamination and gremlin untransformed gremlin. And patriarchal thoughtware that seems so innocent and like it doesn't even get noticed. And a numbness bar that is so high that the any action that would kill love, like an action that would kill love does not even register. Like on the radar of, oh, this is actually killing love. It just goes as this is how it goes. And so I picked this. This article is a lot in in the research, this article Beyond Repair and the research of coming out of the woman of Earth Lab is a lot more revolutionary than I kind of am aware of in terms of my life in archaearchy, something like that. And so and it and it really, I think, is shocking or confusing or. Like it needs experiment and practices and not just thinking about it, not thinking, God, it could, it could be like that. And, and I think this is for me, this liquid state that I'm going through while I'm writing this archaeological woman's book is there was a part of me that was just thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if archaeology really actually was possible? Like really, if People would meet in tourist technology circles instead of governmental hierarchy headed top heavy with psychopath. Like, wouldn't it? It could be that if women were put in charge, like initiated women were put in charge of decision making for the village as part of the infinity ring, this whole question of the 24 hour news cycle would not exist. There would be no 24 hour news cycle. And there would be no wars and there would probably be no religion or or it would be a hobby. Like a religion would be like one of the hobbies, like knitting. You have the, you know, it's a hobby. of, And 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 so I was, I think this part of me that was just, this is a really cool idea. It's interesting. And I can live with, you know, we can behave like this in my little community. But as I'm writing this book, I have the, I have this experience and the sensation of it could work. 
Like the possibility exists. People could jack in into that context. Like we, we could make Freiburg a nano nation. We could make Bali a nano nation that would split off from you know Indonesia, split off from Germany and say the laws of whatever country is around us does not apply. Because we heard stories of Bali, who's this Hindu nation. Basically, it's one huge temple. Like, Bali is just one huge temple. You drive down the street. People live in temples. And there's there's offerings three times a day for the gods. And it's just this whole, this this nano-nation that thrives on sacredness. And then, because... It is such there's a lot of people who want to come in, so there's a lot of money. And what happens is that the Muslim people from the other island is starting to invade Bali. And they have this uh, law that says if you have so many people who pay insurance from a certain religion, then they can build the temple of their religion. And so now there's mosque being put everywhere in Bali with prayers five times a day that is noise pollution. I mean, it is like, okay, that is, that's, that's patriarchal fatware at work. And so if archaeological fatware was in Bali, we could protect Bali. Bali could protect itself. Bali could take care of itself. And we wouldn't lose another, you know, center of, I don't know, human diversity, sacredness, you know, offering, you know, when that's gone, it's gone. It's like in, like a species that gets extinct. A species that took billion, millions of years to come into life. When it's extinct, it's extinct forever. It Forever. And never, ever comes back. Even with whatever people cloning and stuff. And so I'm... This is for me the study group is we are we are the we are the edge of bringing that thoughtware, and I'm not saying that as you know we are the only one you know and nobody else. But for example, I just want to say that Clinton had two calls and it's, they're recorded calls and they've just been sent out in the possibility management news. I I really encourage you to listen to them. It's two calls. With two uh, men, so Jim Ruff that Clinton was mentioning and Dean Spillen Walker, who have been doing edge work for decades. And they're not young. And they've been trying to bring these amazing ideas into the world and helping people. And at the end of each call, the answer from both of these men was nobody, nobody was, could be like this with me. Nobody could listen to me. Nobody would ask me questions in a way that I would be empowered or joyful or inspired. I, or, who are you guys? You know, basically that was kind of the question, the email afterwards. It's like, who are you guys really? And so I, I'm not taking our group lightly. That's what I wanted to say. And to us, this was a, intended to be a short introduction to ask you about what what kind of experiment, like what, how can we help each other? How can we help each other? 
what kind of experiment what do you yeah what are you feeling what what's your pain what do you need yeah i'm glad that you're saying that and chloe somebody else was also shouting in joy you could hear that and um yeah i mean also in pain about that because that's what people say after rage club they say okay then how do I connect with my friends now? And where where do I find new friends? And how it's going to be? Like, am I now confronting everyone with my feelings and emotions? And like, this will not work. And there's this in one side, seeing all these changes and transformations in, in themselves and on the other side. But yeah, what I'm going to do with that now? And yeah, so what I, my pain is I have now all kind of rage club teams, groups where they might ask each other for EHPs and stuff, but it all stays in this virtual world, like in this meeting up on Zoom and Telegram. And I wish I could tell them, yeah, okay, build a bridge house or do make a nano, but it's, that there are so many other steps in between. So yeah, I'm I, I I I'm in this pain. I I have the proposal to say move into a bridge house to plant the seed of move into a bridge house. And of course, you know how how you know there's thousands of possibilitators who right now could be in a bridge house and are not. And so each of each of them are facing an emotional healing process, an old thoughtware, an old decision, a part, you know, of their emotional, their energetic body being split out. But then, but then the seed is: this is where we're going. This is where we're going, this, we're going to live to together. Find out, you know, decision making uh, processes, living together ways, traditions, rules of engagement to inhabit our archaearchy to occupy archaearchy this is this is where you this is the path like this is the offer this is what's possible I, mean, I don't think we've ever had so many basically bridge houses on this call before it's like hello hello bridge houses <laughs> <laughs> hello hello teams yeah so I would say, say it like, and, and be relentless about it. You don't want to live in the city. Where's your bridge house? What do you need? What do you need to make your bridge house? You know, is it money? Is it time? Is it fear of connection? Is it, it's all of it. But it turns on a great conversation, mm-hmm. a good conversation. And you, and you build legends about a bet or whoever you build the legend of who's Habet? Oh, she's that woman who keeps talking about bridge houses. Does she live in a bridge house? Well, I'm she, she did once. I mean, not yet. I mean, she will. I'm she, sure will. she will. She will. She's going to. In the Canary Islands. I know she will. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be Thailand. <laughs> That's the newest news. <laughs> newest update. <laughs> Thailand. Oh. Okay. Nice. And, in, in, and to kind of push the nail down in the board. I've never heard that expression, but 
and <laughs> it's that people can't i it is shocking it is shocking the lack of imagination of these genius people it's shocking to to realize that the wonderful people you love and I go you know go for Rachel and are so enthusiastic and it's it's a fog you know patriarchy is off it's a fog out there like I I mean I what I can live without a house I can live without a pension fund I can live without health insurance it, it I, I, nobody nobody lives like that how can you live like that and then you can say you know people live like that and this is how it goes this is what that is what it takes. This is the kind of upgrade or growing up, or this is kind of conversation to 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 take to bring. I mean, in a way, it's like to bring the sun so the fog lifts. Because there's a lot of, as like you said, there's a lot of people living in archaeology already, and so it's just the fog that's in between, in between the possible, yeah, that's blocking the possibility. So when you look in the mirror and you're flossing your teeth, you go, there is a sun. I am a sun. I make fog just go <laughs> vanish the fog. Ingrid. Hi. Okay. Nice to see you. Who else? What else? I made a I made a discovery, maybe others have also made it about dignity. And what I discovered is that dignity is like a paperweight, like a beautiful paperweight for my center. And there are times when I realize that my center's out and I, I bring it back and then I one time I happened to remember to just turn up the like open my restrictive sphincter to dignity as a bright principle. And as it flooded in through this space I am, it was as if this beautiful paperweight kind of went down onto my center and and it 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 somehow it it took it took less attention and less anger to to keep my center because of the dignity that that i was I was bringing into as choosing to bring in mm-hmm. and I, I wanted you to know about that. Thank you. Thank you. I I said something in a bridge house call a, a week ago, a few days ago, but I want to say it also in the in the study group. And it's about what are you defending? And it comes from this image of that I heard from a, an activist, an environmental activist, who says if you think your water comes from the tap, then you will defend the tap. If you fix your water comes from the river, you will defend the river. You know, if you think your your food comes from the supermarket, then you will defend the supermarket and the supply chain of thousands and thousands of miles and fossil fuel that is involved in the supply chain of supermarket because you think that's where your food comes from. But if you think your food, if you have the experience that your food comes from a, a garden, then that's what you will defend, the quality of the soil, uh, the, the the weather pattern so that there's rain when it's supposed to rain, there's enough sun when, is, when you, know, you need enough sun to grow them. That's what you will defend. 
And in terms of our inner work and inner transformation, it's what are you defending? And so if the the images, if you think to go on, like in your life, you need survival, you need your box, you need your gremlin, you need your contamination, you need your righteousness, you need your arguments, you need your doubts, or you're beating yourself up, then you will defend that against your own transformation. You'll defend your need for survival. But if you change, you know, and it's sort of what you were talking about, Nicole, is if you change your experience of what I want, what I want, what, what I cannot go on without is life, is access to my feelings, is having my center, is access to bright principles. It's my, my community, like collaborative, collaborate, um, whatever, collaborative creation with my community. It's, um, you know, being connected to Gaia. It is, so living, you know, if what I need to go on, I cannot go on if I'm not living, then you will defend that. And what I was thinking is, then you, if you're in a space that will try to undermine your feelings, you say, I cannot be in this space because what I'm defending is my ability to feel. Is progress. Feel. Is my ability to it- be. And so I, I, I don't know what an experiment could be about that, but it is it, maybe just noticing you go around and what are you trying to sustain? What are you trying to sustain? And you might want to change your mind about what you want to sustain. Yeah. I want to tell a legend about today, and it has to do with what what to sustain, what I want to sustain. Because today, outside the door here, we have this saltwater pool. And so Sonia and Sophia, I don't know if you guys have ever had a mask and snorkel on before. I did once. So Sonia had it once and Sophia never before. So and Chloe, who's a dolphin mermaid, threw them in the water and gave them this plastic junk to put all over their face and some fins on their feet and said, be like me, I'm a mermaid. And so... <clears throat> I watched, it was mermaid school. It was mermaid yeah. school. They were having mermaid school, right? Well, I got the camera out and I'm taking some pictures, but something is not right with the picture. And that what's not right with the picture is they don't know how to use their fins. They, really, they absolutely, and I've been using fins since I was, I don't know, nine years old or something. So they, these guys have never had fins on before. So they don't know how to walk in the water. They don't know how to fly. And so what I want to preserve about that is I started giving very clear, specific, demanding feedback and coaching. And they just went shifted and they just shifted into mermaids. And I want to preserve the resilience of the team intelligence of when somebody can give clear feedback, Mm -hmm. people don't go into emotional contractions and reactivity and you're being mean to me or I don't like the tone of your voice or, you know, anything. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that, whatever the thing is. But the result is within a half hour after that, we were in 
a, a, a tropical reef out in front of us snorkeling with dangerous creatures, <laughs> coral reefs with with large what waves, waves <laughs> motorboats, <laughs> ropes, you know, and currents and and wind and uh, Strongylus and Trotus franciscanus, these large these large purple sea urchins that have spines on them sticking out, you know, like all this stuff was out there. Stonefish. I mean, there's triggerfish. I mean, there's all this stuff <laughs> out there. And I didn't want to tell them everything that was out there, but there's all these things out there. I was just thinking about <laughs> And And they, this was, I got to swim with mermaids today. I got to swim with brand new, freshly hatched mermaids today. And what happened after we were in the water, after we were in the water for a while, this turtle came over. This big, beautiful turtle came over and was just hanging out with us. Like we were kind of hanging out and it was just hanging out there. And it was just, it would just hang. And we were all hanging out together in this water and he was looking at us or she was looking. We would look back and something really miraculous happened, which was after about 10 minutes or so more of this turtle hanging out with us and he started floating up to us like this to me and Anne Chloe. And he floated up to us so both of us could put our hands on the turtle at the same time. <laughs> and we're just looking at each other and we're looking at this turtle going, what's happening? Why? Because, you know, and he, and then as soon as we had our hands on this turtle for like 10 seconds or something, yeah. it just swam away. <laughs> and it really wanted to be, for us to have this experience of this connection, it was like trying to, it was trying to make itself safe enough for us to come touch the turtle. So we would not be too afraid. And it was just the most amazing thing that this turtle would do for us. It was just so amazing. You guys saw this, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Whoa. Anyway, it was just so touching and just so, this is a wild animal out in the yeah. middle, you know? Wow. Yeah. So, what a few people could you say? What would you be defending? It's something that you would be defending this week for Angela. Hi. I have the feeling that. Okay, I, but I am feeling, yeah, I'm defending. I'm defending the clarity that after the word feel, it comes anger, sadness. Yes. I recognized. I'm defending my anger. As I'm living in a community with, um, where the feelings work is not so known. I can feel anger when I think about it and it, I feel almost more and more angry. And, um, yeah, there I'm, I feel sad because I feel stuck. And, um, what I originally wanted, yeah. Go ahead. I have a proposal, but go ahead. Yeah, what I wanted to what, is it, what I wanted to share just before, 
was um, we had a um, grief ritual here, which was, was a rather not so big, 30 people for one day uh, afternoon. And um, this was like when it then started in our stone circle in the night, um, people were hesitant to <laughs> go and grief. And I just, after a few seconds, I just then saw, okay, there's the people are hesitant. I just went and I opened my sadness and fully, and I heard and later also that I really was a door opener for the other people. And it was really, I was so glad that I had learned it already with possibility management to just connect to my sadness and to just go with whatever was coming. And then there was even in between shame was coming because I'm used to it with possibility management with people who are open for it that one really goes into sadness not just oh, a bit seven percent but really as much as possible so I could feel this shame coming and then I knew oh okay I can use it yeah I can even use this I can go in the anger about it that I feel like this. I can go in this and, and really take the sadness of this state where we're in as humanity, as community, and use it as a fuel for my sadness again. Uh, so this was really um, uh, powerful. And, and I got inspired to share because Nicole was speaking about dignity. Because I felt like I I um, showed the people what would usually see only my anger. And now they could see, okay, there is grief, there is sadness, there's huge possibility to feel and allow this sadness and to connect to my heart. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, it makes me also very sad because there are so many different kind of <laughs> misinformations about all these feelings work. Yeah, I was at a um, meditation thing this weekend and where it's just like that. And if you feel sadness, then go to mm, and transform it to joy. No. Yeah. And I can feel how then I tried and I tried to speak with my part, partner afterwards. And it's just, and then I just, my reach just bursts out, bursts out and I, I, I don't know how many heads I still have to chop uh, until something in me uh, gets calm. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Emila. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm turning off because I get a work, somebody uh, to work and I'm also cooking besides and yeah, but I'm Listening. Listen, this hint about your anger is it might be really time for you to shift between phase one and phase two of anger, which is phase one is expressing anger and being able to be angry and say no. And and phase two is proposals. It's making use of the anger. What do I want? How do I make it happen? How, How do I hold space? How do I navigate space? You need all your anger for that. How am I clear holding space for a context that's different? And that's phase two of anger. So there's a great phase one, phase two. And and the conscious anger also has a lot of information and experiment about that shift. So it was really important. Yes, it's time. Yay. Thank you.
Yeah, thank you. I have an experiment or a legend to share. This week, um, there were a lot of dances, but on Sunday, I went to a community dance, and during the dance, I observed that this one woman had an, a small child with her, and the child was taking a nap, and she put her coat over it on the floor in the corner. And towards the end of the dance, this man who's taller than me went over, sat on the floor to stretch his legs or do whatever, but when he did so, he went right into this child's space. Like he could reach out and touch the child. And I observed the mother break her dance and go straight to the child. And I just went up to the gentleman and I said, are you aware that there's a child sleeping underneath that coat? And he kind of looked at me like, you know, what of it? And I was like, are you willing to move over and out of the child's space. And and then it's sort of, I don't know, he, he was sort of like this, but he was like in the community, he was willing to move over and do that. And then I went back and had my dance. And it's interesting how much came up for me with, gee, was that okay? And blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, I used my anger to say that's not okay. That's that's the definition of a microaggression to go mm-hmm. into another space and not have their consent and then to ignore it like, oh, no, this is mine. I, I'm cool. So that was one experiment I did this week. Thank you. Thank you a, more, a more interesting one is a friend has started a healing circle and I've gone now the past two weeks. Last night was the second one and I'm getting involved with that. And I'm observing what she's creating in that space and how she's like trying to push the edge, but she doesn't know what edge she's pushing. And so it'll be interesting to see what uh, co-creation is possible as we go through the phase, but just to see what she's creating and people are coming and, um, Stuff is happening there. So it's interesting just to witness that first. Thank Those are my experiments. Be bold. Mm-hmm. You don't have as much time as you might think. So make Agreed. it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Jacqueline. Hello, Jacqueline. Hello. It's good to see you. And I'm really, I already feel sad. I feel really touched to be here. Uh, <laughs> just it's been a while and I feel really glad to, I feel sad uh, and glad to just be back with uh, seeing your faces. And yeah, I, well, I was going to start with something else, but I've really been yeah, I've really been defending my swamp lately, and I feel really sad about it. 
and it's totally killing my my creative c- collaboration and it sucks i'm i'm really sad about it and i'm just really glad to to be here and i wanted to share a legend um jeff and i have been traveling together in our own mini bridge house in a way since poland with different groups of people and now since a couple weeks we sort of left the pm context for the first time and went deep into um his like birth family's context and now we're literally in my family's birth context my house where i grew up and it's really a big shift and definitely a a whole other game world Mm -hmm. and over the weekend uh jeff and i we went into the into new york into the city to see different friends of ours which is a whole other game world (laughs) and a lot of different contexts happening and on the way coming back because there's there's a lot to share about it but one that really touched me coming back was we stopped at the community where Leslie Underwood or Greenwood lives and oh. and saw her and Dorothea and we hung out at this cafe for a bit and just had a really beautiful conversation and towards the end of it we were talking about wanting to have conscious gremlin creation time like really like conscious gremlin fun and you know kind of just talking about it and jeff jumped in and he's like why don't we just you know do it right now let's just do it right now and and he proposed this like stand-up improv and <laughs> we we had in this cafe they had lights they had like a stage area with a podium there's no one else in the cafe except for this one other woman visiting the cafe so it was empty and so we're like, let's get up and do it. So we did it. And we we opened and it was so fun. It was so fun to just like, you know, just get up there and, you know, speak from the unknown and create from the unknown. And I started going and I went first and I was a witch and I and and I was like, hey, I'm gonna like use my clicker and we're gonna have everyone levitating, you know, a few inches off the ground in their seats for this. And it caught the attention of this other woman named Samantha, who we didn't know, who's the only other person in the shop. And she was like, what did you say? And, she, and I was like, we're, you know, this is the coven. We just started accepting men five minutes ago. And she's <laughs> like, I'm gonna, and she's like, uh, and she's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna join you. And we had this one extra chair because I did the math wrong and I put out an extra chair. And of course it was waiting there for Samantha to come and join us. So she sat down and, <laughs> And, and it was great. And then there was something about like, I just was talking about random things. Like she had the the key to where the unicorns live. And she was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're saying this. And then, then, you know, then Leslie went, she sang a song and then Samantha went and she had this amazing voice and she sang a song about unicorns that she's been writing. (laughs) And, and, and then Dorothea acted, had this like, you know, live art action of being a unicorn. And then Jeff closed with this, beautiful exploration of topics including unicorns and it was just it was really magical (laughs) and it was great it was just this like you know speaking from the unknown and conscious gremlin fun and and so for me I I really I need I have a need like I'm really feeling the pain of like defending my swamp and I I need to shift I have a real need to shift into this 
like just going, like just going and, and just go, going and stop simmering in that swampy place. So I'm defending going this week. And if you have any possibilities for me, would you please share them as well? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I, think one of the best way to get out of a swamp in terms of, in addition to Grumman transformation and being aware of your swamp and doing this inner work and the emotional healing processes and is to be in spaces that defend against your swamp. Like in, in spaces that like here, where there's a whole bunch of bright principles, there's love happening, there's community happening. And then you shift in, into that space and it, and, and then those bright principles hit you and they start maybe even activating your own bright principles, you know, and how long does it last? It does, you know, maybe an hour in the first time, maybe, you know, a whole day. You go back into the space and the more you can stretch, keeping the intensity, you know, enduring the intensity of being alive and instead of being in the swamp, because being in the swamp is very intense, but it's a survival intensity. And so the, as much as you can stretch enduring the intensity of being alive, then at some point you'll be able to source that yourself. And that's where we're going with this is to, to be able to, that you don't have to plug back in, that you're plugged in forever. You're plugged in and you don't plug out. But it needs a little, it, it you know, you, you need a like a mold. You first need a mold. I was... I got this this distinction the other day, which is from sacred geometry, something from the archetypal, which is in ancient Greece, they would design, there was shaped statue, sculpt statue in the shape of the gods so that the gods were there because the shape was there. And so immediately when the shape is there, the god is there. Okay. The thing with the Greek people and the Roman people is that they were all patriarchal, thinking that the God is something outside of them, and especially mostly men. However, I knew they have a few goddesses. It applies, that picture applies to us. It means if you change your shape in the shape of the archetypal, you know, of a godly shape, then it is there. It has no choice but to be there. And that's, I think, where we're going, like what we're trying to create with archetypal initiation, adulthood and archetypal initiation, is for you to change the shape of your being so that you have no choice to wake up with the bright principles pouring through you. And so do you get it? You, you, you're molding yourself. And you need, you need to be in presence of the mold for a little while before you become the mold. You know, and then you become the mold for other people. Thank you. Yes. That's, that's sort of in the cafe, we're talking about that also. It, we're, we're talking about this at the cafe, actually, this exact thing that before we learn how to dance, we need some other mold to like give us some reference point of how to dance and sort of taking on that shape at first. Of, of like somebody else's shape for the for some moment period of time until then I get to start inserting my own creativity and 
and essence into making my shape. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Alice. I'm experimenting a lot with setting boundaries and how my anger serves me for this. And thinking about what I'm defending, I uh, I defend to to be against my neighbor and my neighborhood so that I can entertain my gremlin about like complaining about it. And then what I have done recently is using my anger to set a boundary with those people. And this also involves like I like also remove myself from places. So I was exploring what does really archaeology mean for me? Like mm, And I, I have been going through a phase where then I try to force other people around me into archaeology and it didn't work. So I also noticed, like, if, if I want to, to have my personal space of archaeology with the bright principles and with taking responsibility and, and stopping the complaining and blaming other people, it also involves to remove myself from places. And I feel fear about it because it might involve, like, like removing myself from neighborhood, from friendships, from, yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. I have a little hint, hint about that. Yeah. Which is the orientation of of seeing yourself going away from things basically means you're walking backwards going away from something you know it's you trip backward you fall you fall in a hole you trip over things it's not so powerful and yet and so if you can just produce the same result by going towards something and, and there's there's so many things to go towards you know you can go towards an art museum you can go towards a space to write in your beat book or your to write up your next article or to design, you know, practice your talking. You know, you can go there's so many places you can go towards. And you go, you don't have to go towards alone. You can just it turns out to be important to figure out where you're going first before you figure out who you're going with. And so as soon as you get where you're going towards, then you scan people and go, would you like, I'm going here. Would you like to go with me? And then there's a proposal and then they can say yes or no. And then all of a sudden there's something else, a completely different thing happening than you having to react or make a boundary or go away, you know, and leaves, leaves mm-hmm. behind. It's a completely different orientation. And I just proposed that mm-hmm. in practicing that because it just takes one moment to go, okay, this is over. It's finished. I'm not going to do this anymore go, okay, what's next? You go, okay, what do I want? What do I need? What am I creating? What's, what's, what's my job here? You go, okay, I'm going towards that. And then, so you left the thing that you're, you're going, you forget, really, you forget 
all about the thing that you're leaving because you're going towards mm -hmm. And then you can say, would you like to go with me? And they may mm -hmm. say, no, whatever. Or can you wait? You say, no, I'm not waiting or whatever. But but it's uh, just a different orientation. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Clint, can I follow up on that with Jeff? Jeff? Shoot, cut loose, baby. <laughs> Something in what Clinton just said resonated with me because I was planning to go to Costa Rica for the whole month long thing. Oh. And I I could not find the this is where we're going to and what we're doing. So I never signed up, but I was ready to. I was making plans here. And I just wanted to share that. That felt like something I missed. Like, where's the group going there? I want to go there. So. Thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm still looking and I'm taking note of what you create next, because I want to be there. We have some stuff cooking. Did that go out in the letter? We are tight-lipped. No. <laughs> we think the December news will have stuff about it. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Anything else from anybody else? Ingrid. What's going on with my computer? Your screen froze. Okay. In the tropical heat, it's a strange observation. <laughs> you're, you're muted, Ingrid, so just... Is she sending a message? I think she's going to play it on the app. I am defending on a moment-to-moment -moment basis to be a satellite of the Magic Cowbridge House. I got the fuel when was there in person for two days. Something in me was rubbing me. And I feel, together with this space here in the study group, that this fuel turned into an eternal one. Wow. Uh... <laughs> oh, thank you. Nice to hear from you. <laughs> thank you, Ingrid. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And I would like to add that it's working. And we have three of Ingrid's mm -hmm. friends coming Wednesday. For the oh, wow. The, the fuel is igniting. Wow. <laughs> ah. Nice. Any anyone else or anything else before we start reading? Eva, are you keeping things secret? <laughs> and Chloe, you always notice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting on this story I want to share because I thought it was so amazing. I, I did this workshop on Friday about like for parents of people who are with children to 
to to get into this conversation about um, how can we be with children when when there's rage. And and at the end of the work talk, this one woman said, you know, actually, I don't have so much a problem with rage. It just comes naturally for me. For example, my bike got stolen. And so I was without this bicycle. And one or two weeks later or so, I go along the street. And I see on the other side of the road is this big guy sitting on my bicycle. So what does this woman do? She said, she just went over and said, get off, this is my bike. And he did. And she sat on the bike and, and went along. And it was just no hesitation. It was just so clear. I think that's so inspiring. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Yay. Okay, I'm reading. Do you want to say something? Oh, it's this. We were talking about what was the thing we were talking about? If you drop a certain amount of baggage, then echo can move you. What were we talking about? I think that? it was about Luis, who is who's going through this really this big evolution and dropping baggage of game worlds and also of material things, but of identity. So it's a, it's just a, you, this is such an amazing example, Eva, of this woman walking down the street at that time, her attention moving over and noticing that it is her bicycle. I mean, I can relate. I, in college one time, I, I was walking towards my apartment and I saw this guy ride this green bicycle and I, and I just looked at it and I went, well, it looks a lot like my bicycle. But then I got back and there was all left of my bicycle was a cut chain link. An asshole stole my bike right in front of me and I couldn't move. I could not move. I was, I was too much baggage to, to take action. And so it's a, it's this importance of noticing the, he, the heaviness that comes from energetic, a lot of different energetic things. It is not just physical objects, but it's, it's it's considerations or beliefs or or um, like stories around fears. For example, if I have a story around a fear and I'm carrying that, this thing is a burden. So there's there's so many ways to come together, and you could have this a, a debaggaging club. You know, basically a, a debaggaging conversation. And you come together, you go. Any any baggage you're dropping off today? You know what is the baggage you're dropping off? And so, it's a but the but the value of it then is you is it the intelligence of consciousness of raw consciousness can move you. You're light enough to be moved by the flow, this flux or flow of consciousness, and it and it has this beneficial beneficence it has this blessing for something like that it's like it moves so that things are better and so it was it was was, i don't know the turtle we could have tried Mm -hmm. to right reach for the turtle we could have we could have been i don't know excited about the turtle but basically we were trying to be like the turtle and then the turtle you know could be with us Something like that. It's like consciousness can flow stuff in our direction when we're being like consciousness. And consciousness is just this 
multi-dimensional, multi-level, sophisticated, complex, always moving and evolving thing, stuff. And we're part of it. We're, we're built into that. Yet we block it with all these concepts and needs and projections and expectations and conclusions and stories and like all this stuff. And, and this is all baggage that makes us heavy when it comes to relating to the flow of the consciousness. So it was an amazing example. So I will throw it out there because there's so many ways to drop baggage. There's really hundreds of ways, different experiments to do. And one of the baggage that I think, whatever, I don't know, a hard one or a heavy one to throw out is emotional fears from modern culture. Mm. Emotional fears that you got from modern culture that tells you, I mean, first of all, is the fear of fear. Like that's, that's a huge baggage to carry around, being afraid of your own fear. For example, you know, if you're not afraid of your own fear anymore and somebody says you need health insurance because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the future, you say, you can say, I, I refuse to buy something that will numb my fear. Health insurance numbs my fear. I re- I refuse I defend my ability to feel fear mm-hmm. and you can't hook me with because that's the hook you know try to get more money try to be more comfortable try to have a bigger house try to have enough clothes try to have enough toilet paper you know if there's a pandemic that hits it's all this thing about not w- be willing to feel fear and then in in these the gremlin the gremlin games got you if you cannot feel your own fear, they got you. And and so I'm, you know, and that's my own doing also, but I'm sad and angry and scared that there's not enough fear club happening mm. for people to, to shift this relationship to fear so that one of the thing to drop is, is patriarchal game worlds to drop off. To, like, like Alice was saying to move out of, Say I'm not doing this anymore. I'm gonna. I'm moving out, and the, the only thing that's blocking moving out of the, those game worlds, those really seemingly heavy game worlds, is just fear. It's only fear. And in a conversation I had with then Chloe a day or so ago, there was this real piece of clarity that said, if modern culture teaches us fear is bad. So we do not find the edge. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> it's a spark. So. It's a spark. You can't say it. Yeah, <laughs> you, have to, you have to read the notes. Okay, so so who's who's delivering Fear Club? Who's on track to deliver Fear Club? Okay, Yes. Yeah. Yes. Habet, Eva. Okay. Okay. There's three. Yeah, Habet, Nicole, and yeah. Eva. Yeah, and and Meredith. Yeah, Meredith. Okay, and Demetra also. She just put her hand. <laughs> okay, good. We no, no. We need fear. No, oh, not yet. Not yet. I said hello. Okay. <laughs> you didn't. Oh no. 
it's another fire. <laughs> I'm holding on. I was just like, all right, all right. No wait. I wanted to add something to what you just said, Clinton, about um having these fears because I'm I stopped breastfeeding now and I was so scared to have this shift because we are moving and there's so many things happening and I had so many stories about why it's not the right time to do it and I was falling back again and breastfeeding again until my roommate asked me like what's your plan on this like I mean are you serious what's going on here and I was so angry that she said that but at the same time I I was just afraid that she would come up with something that would work because what I realized is Uh, this, it, there's this image of trying to take something out and other things come out with that and then it's like defending those things like oh but then I will not be intimate with her anymore oh I will not have this and but if I if I take this out this and this and this and this will also go out so I was defending all the, the other shit and then holding it making it too tight and then she had my roommate had this great idea because my daughter is crazy about plasters right And she said, just put some plasters on your breast and tell her it's broken. And then I did that. And it made so much sense to her because it's broken. <laughs> and then she was, can I have a look? Oh, yeah, it's broken. Like, like it was so easy. I thought she would be traumatized. Whatever. And yeah, and the other thing is also to have a team. I, I could not believe until I made it, like created that team that I would have a team next to me that would hold everything what's coming up. And and there's also this fear of trying it before you can believe it, right? Like to not think that you have to believe it before it's really there. So yeah, this is a nice possibility. Thank you. Thank you. Isn't it funny? <laughs> It's so amazing to share possibilities. Yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, it's a great idea. It's broken, you know, and there's proof it's broken. And it's like, okay. Before. Anybody could use that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're shifting, we're shifting context somehow. We're shifting conversation into beyond repair. I'm going back, I think, a little up, rereading re what we've read last time, which is about the use of the sword and the demand, the woman's demand on a, a space of relating. And it, it says you can easily discern, discern is distinguished, the difference between an expectation which emerges from emotions that last longer than three minutes and a demand that is powered by your present time, small now sword of clarity you use to hold the, the arc in context of your relating space. And here I want to make a, I don't know, offer a story or I remember when I started making demands and mostly I can remember that in my, in the spaces that I would hold rage club, rage club, space holder trainings, ETV and labs. And I would make this demand 
But what would happen afterwards is my box would freak out and I'd have this huge fear. And, and that fear was emotional. And I thought, oh, I have this fear. So therefore I'm having an emotion. So therefore it's not a demand. And so I had to distinguish between my box freaking out, like needing to re reshape itself around this kind of sudden shift of identity of being or making a demand. And, and that really helped me to have somebody around saying, you know, it was this gremlin. You know, was this, uh, was this survival? You know, was I trying to take revenge? And most of the time it was not. Almost all of, no, that was a demand that you were defending something that you weren't defending before in a way that you weren't defending it before. And so, okay, let your box freak out. And it lasts for about half hour, an hour. You know, if it lasts longer than that, then there's probably an emotional healing process behind it. And that's worth doing the EHP. So I wanted to share that. Thank you. Um, Can you give some shout? Can you give some hints on how does the box freak out look like? Yeah. Talk to them. Mm -hmm. Can you say it in, in the space? Yes. Uh, can you give some hints of how does the box freakout look like to get this distinction between this freakout and the emotion? And I get that it comes, the emotion lasts longer. The, I mean, the freakout is mostly fear. That's really what it means is that the box is afraid because it no longer has a shape. The box is afraid and often in in it, it loses a shape that part of a shape that it used to have mm -hmm. yeah so it's an unfamiliar smooth place where it used to have a corner or something and often the freak out especially for women shows up in a form of self-doubt that was too much that was i i was not allowed to do that i was you know i was taking revenge i was you know what's going to happen to them like all these inner considerations and doubt. And, and so the, the way I've been working with the self-doubt that this grinding is, is like a, it's like a worm. A self-doubt is like a worm. It, you know, it comes in, try to, it eats, it, it, it grinds you, it grinds through. The way I've been working with doubt is, which was one of my main grumbling food and one, my, one of my main grumbling contamination also, what is self-doubt is a way to numb a part of your radiance, a part of your clarity, a part of your demand, a part of your stand. So the moment you're feeling self-doubt, you say, this is a numbing mechanism. What am I numbing? And often it will be rage. Or it could be grief. Or it could be joy. Like that you're celebrating to stand for yourself. Or you're celebrating the shift that could happen or had or has happened. So I encourage you in terms of the, one of the first experiments for this, the Beyond Repair study group, was get yourself a cluster of women. Get yourself, a, you know, a group. And same, you know, for men, get yourself a group of men. But in this case is the moment of freak out, you say, I'm numbing something and I, some another consciousness needs to hear it. You pick up the phone 
or in the magic Albert house, you go knock on somebody's door, which is what Sonia did yesterday, right away. Sonia just came into our room and said, I'm freaking out. And we immediately said it was perfect. It was perfect. It was what needed to happen for your clarity, the clarity of the space, the clarity of the game world, and for the other person. And then you, that's a way to recalibrate this compass of to be in reality, for the compass to be in reality instead of, I'm going to use this picture, the fog, the fog of patriarchal thoughtware. Does that, yes. does that help? Thank you. I keep reading. Mm. Your archaeological relating context is the non-negotiable leverage point for starting over. If your relating space context becomes debatable, you are instantly sucked back into patriarchal gremlin games again. And to, to get it that, you know, we promote or we offer the possibility of negotiating intimacy, but the context of your relating, it, that is not what is up for negotiation. That's not what's up for negotiating intimacy. The negotiation happens within the context of arc and relating. In and, and the negotiation, I mean, the idea like where you can have a point of like a compass or to detect what, what negotiation are appropriate or is how does the negotiation enhance your context? How does it support it? How does it empower it? How does it make it deeper, brighter? You know, in, in an arcane context of, you know, uh, a radically responsible arcane context of relating, you know, you get the bright principle in it. So radical responsibility, radical honesty, radical vulnerability, clarity, possibility, empowerment, love, connection. So does the negotiation empower that? And not the child version of it. Not the child version of it. The, the adult version of it. It is a boring gremlin trick, you know, both from either men or maybe, you know, even women that you might be relating with. I mean, in this case, we're talking about a men-women re relating. It is a boring gremlin trick to attack the context rather than to question one's own familiar survival tactics developed to work in the patriarchal context. So of course, the men's patriarchal survival strategy no longer work function in our hierarchy. I'm adding it. It whatever mm, some it's you can't have you cannot have this the safety the fake safety and comfort of patriarchy and the aliveness of our hierarchy. Because what you need for the aliveness is exactly what you need to sacrifice for comfort or for survival or for safety, let's say, safety. 
So you can't have both. And it was an amazing process that I held space for Sophia. She wrote an article about it. I haven't read it yet, but she realized that she, um, what was it? She realized that a part of her still had a foot in patriarchy was the justification of otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm abandoning these people. Like otherwise I'm leaving them behind and also not being able to feel the, the sadness about that. But she realized that her foot in the middle of our, of patriarchy was she needed to sacrifice the resources for her to thrive in archaeology to keep that foot there. And then she was wondering why, you know, with all the distinction, value, clarity, love that she has, her spaces weren't full with 30 people. Well, because she, she needed to pretend that she was still normal. She, she needed to be, I'm, to be in the patriarchy, to be able to face these people, be with these people, you know, even if she's not actually around them anymore. So, of course, the men's patriarchal survival strategy no longer work in archaearchy, and so does yours, your own survival strategy. So, archaearchy is not about surviving. Archaearchy is fueled by unfolding potentials, evolution of consciousness, healing, discovery, and thriving instead of merely merely surviving. Your sort of clarity easily differentiates, so again, it's like distinguish makes a difference between holding context and having expectation. And so as a woman, your job is catch yourself every single time you make an assumption because an assumption leads immediately into an, an expectation. If you assume your assumption is true, it turns into an expectation. If your expectation is then broken or unfulfilled, you create resentment. So if you have any questions about that, talk to Nicole, because you've been on a team to dismantling resentment and withdrawing expectation, which is great. Yeah, great work. So you catch yourself every single time you make an assumption and you withdraw it immediately from the space. You know, if you can catch yourself making an assumption, then you don't have to turn it into an expectation and go through the process of having to withdraw the expectation or even go all the way to a resentment and have to dismantle the resentment. Like all of that uses so much energy and attention and so much of your love is so consumed by resentment. I mean, so that could be, so that would be one of the experiment this week. It's a wild experiment. I mean, it's a, because the experiment is notice how long you can go without making an assumption about anything, about anybody, about yourself, about your partner, about the house, about what he said, about what you think he understood, about what you said, about how to not make any assumption that for me, one of the hard thing to not make assumption about, and I'm still working is thinking that I understand people. Like there's a part of me that wants to, that wants to be with them in a way that what they're trying to communicate. And so I try to understand what they say 
and it's an assumption that I can understand what they say or that I'm assuming that what they say, I, whatever, landed in me in a certain way. And and, it, and I can feel each time I do that, how it takes me out of reality. It takes me out of actually being with them in their research or their pain or their consideration or their, or their exploration, like what, you know, what wants to come out. Because my assumption just makes it dead. Okay, I get it. You don't need to research more. I don't need to ask you a question. I don't need to go on this journey with you. It's really a, a deadening, a deadening mechanism. Or I don't know if you can still hear me. Wait, I mean, it's I realize one of the ways that I would fall asleep by making assumption is assuming, for example, that I'm going to breakfast. So this is breakfast. And that's an assumption because I have this picture of this is breakfast, eating a meal. You know, this might happen. This might happen. I mean, the other example I had was, and I mean, especially here in Asia was I'm going into a taxi. And then I have all this assumption of this guy is a taxi driver. So, you know, do I really need to talk to him or, you know, can I really have an interesting conversation with him or anyway, I'm paying him so I can do, you know, I don't have to be intimate with him because I'm paying him. You know, that's the Uber thing. You put, click on a button. You don't have to talk to the guy and you just leave the car and you've been, you know, you could have been intimate with this person and and you, you're not because there's a phone. And so here in Bali, we've had three adventure days or when we were in Bali, we had three adventure days with three different taxi driver and had the most amazing, like, just getting the context of Bali and and these taxi driver, they would talk about, you know, um, the the philosophy of what it is to be Balinese. This was about 10 minutes into, after we landed in the taxi, like that taking us to the, our first hotel. And he says, look, you need to understand that what it means to be Balinese is you are me. And that is the basic of being Balinese. And that's why, you know, we don't have wars because you are me. And this guy was just so aware of the thoughtware that they're using and was willing to share it with us. And with Sonia, we were in the back and we were like, who is this guy? Like, who sent this guy to us? This is impossible. I think it's also because Clinton is this knack of having amazing taxi driver conversation. <laughs> so we always stick him in the front. So he asked this question and these guys just kind of like lights up and start sharing all this stuff. So if you're traveling with Clinton, just stick him in a taxi and you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll learn things that you didn't know before. <laughs> okay, so that that's the experiment. See how long you can sustain you can go around can be alive without making an assumption and anything from this okay i'll go on when we were in new york city we went to go meet up with uh, a man who i've known since I was three years old. He's 
he's three years younger than I. So I I watched him be born. And it was part of this, my community, my birth culture, coming from a Latin Jewish, very tight community. And he's married to this woman. They just got married. I was at their wedding in May. This this Israeli woman. And, and you know, I thought I had them all figured out. I thought I, I thought I knew everything about them because I've known him since we were born and I went to their wedding and her and I never really spoke, but I, I thought I, I thought I had it. And, and so we, we went to go meet up with them and we, we sit down at Katz's deli at this Jewish del, famous Jewish deli that connects me even more back to this, my birth culture. And somehow we just, Jacqueline and I declared from the first moment, we said, we are, we are making our own culture. And it opened this door to like, it was like we were rediscovering each other. And we learned, so I learned so much about, about them and about him and about her. And it was such an amazing conversation to to re-meet somebody that I've known forever. And also this woman who I had so much judgment about, like so many stories about her. And and we had we we ended up what I thought would be just one meal ended up being 24 hours of of us all hanging out. And it turns out that in the Israeli culture, women are on fire. Like they are so sharp and so they they she runs the she you know she runs the show and and it was so cool it was really cool to to have this experience of seeing all my assumptions and seeing them uh just shedding off little by little and 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 also them like them asking us like how does it work in your culture how does it work what do you guys think about education about school about marriage and one of the big things that came up with marriage because you know they're so that she was clearly very um like she's like marriage is important and the commitment and having the the document and and we started up this conversation about how that numbs the fear Mm. about you know how that this this thing that you know everything's on paper numbs the fear of like, Oh my God, if I don't show up for this person, they, they will, they could leave in a, in one moment, any moment. And I think there was a bit of a liquid state happening in them. I, I'm not sure, but they were soup. They were, they were just so lit up about all of the new ideas we were bringing in, putting on the table. They're like, when is your next event? When's your couple's event? Because we're going. We'll, we're there. And we're going to invite all of our friends to come. <laughs> <laughs> that was... New yeah. York. New York. <laughs> yes. Anything that you want to add? I'm complete. Thank you. <laughs> I'll keep reading. We're in this, I think we're in step three or the stage three, which is as a woman, as you declare that you holding space 
for the archaeical, the arc and relating context, you're the space holder. And immediately you faced with your own patriarchal thoughtware. That's stage two. And you're working through your own patriarchal thoughtware. And stage three, which happens, you know, and we, we've been talking for a few weeks, but it happens a lot faster than that, is his fear of expectation. And that's why we were talking about women not holding expectation, because if you have expectation, then there is expectation. And it's a gremlin game. But if you hold no expectation, he will still project on you that you have expectation. So the men will, I'm reading, the men will reflexively project his mother onto you. His mother focused expectation on him to be a good boy, to do his chores, help around the house, go to school, finish his homework, be nice to his brother and sister, and so on. So the, like the, the, the mother has, I mean, you know, I think you probably heard this, but I'll, I'll mention it again, is in the patriarchy, the mother being still in the patriarchy, the choice that she has was raising a boy when he's born is either she's going to try to turn him into a good boy, take his balls and try to not have him be one of these patriarchal asshole that she hates, which is a form of hatred to try to turn a boy into a good boy, or she will hate him and take revenge on him and abuse him psychologically, emotionally, physically, so that's the choice of a patriarchal mother. And so that's who you have, that's who you get. But in terms of the men, it's either you get a good boy or you have somebody who's been completely abused. And with survival strategy that ranges from being completely weak or, uh, you know, having to kill, having to kill the, the feminine, you know, in response to such violence. So just be, Whatever this, I, I don't have the words. Like rebellious, aggressive, stupid, hate, hate, hateful. I, I was in this, I, I was on a boat to come here to this island and this guy just pushes me from the back and I turn around and I say, please don't push me. And his only answer was stop moaning. You know, and it's like, and I look at, he's with his girlfriend, you know, they're coming on some kind of vacation. And I look at his girlfriend and I'm like, okay, who are you that you would be with a guy like this who hates women to the highest degree? You know, and probably, you know, she has to hate me to be with him. She also has to hate me because it's revealing the kind of person she's with. In terms of I don't know how much it's explained in the in the article, but in terms of a man who's being turned into a good boy, mother takes his balls away, you know, he has to behave to please her. And often there's some kind of sexual enmeshment in that, you know, especially if the father's an asshole and the and the son is a good boy, 
you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'd rather be partner with my son instead of be, have, you know, have a, you know, be a partner with his father or if there's a single mom. So there's this book called Silently Seduced that I've not read, but people said it was really good about exactly the enmeshment of parents, sexual enmeshment of parents with their children and how to get out of it, how to heal, how to take your space back and your sexuality back. But the choice, I don't know how far I should go. I'm, I'll try to, but I'm, you know, it's like, okay, what, what is a boy to do? What is a boy to do in the patriarchy? Well, the only way he would have some kind of life that would not be controlled and owned by his mother is to lie and cheat and cheat and steal, steal time, you know, lie, hide and have what he whatever his life, his real life with the other boys or completely hidden, you know, in this age of technology is completely hidden in video games, porn, at home, smoking marijuana, drinking. In, and then there's the show of the, the partner, the good partner, the good boyfriend, the good employee, the good citizen, you know, to some degree or another. But where his attention is, is my secret life. So I keep reading, I think there's some clarity in the text. The uninitiated man hides behind an entire survival strategy of lying, hiding, pretending, and cheating while putting on the show of I'm a good person, I'm a good sex partner, I'm a good employee, I'm a good father. The show goes so far as to as claiming to be on the path. I'm a good coach. I'm a good trainer. I'm a good healer. The show is fake. It is to cover up, cover up his whole inner world of hiding and lying and cheating, pretending to be a good, a good man, along with all the other quote unquote good men in the patriarchy. Mm. You know, it shows up in all different ways, but one of the ways that it showed up in my life recently was that I noticed this. When I'm being clear, you know, as a woman, but as a trainer, as a game world space holder, when I'm being clear and and demanding, you know, arc and relating or arc and context, for example, in a game world, I've noticed the the men how do you say, aligning, aligning together and having this connection, you know, this buzzing or this vibration, this gremlin, you know, who is she? We don't really care. Mm. You know, bl- so in this case, was it was blaming me, making me responsible for their behavior, and it was the the men would just ally with each other, and having this kind of this snickery, you know, laugh of haha, you know, she thinks she thinks she's powerful, but we're just gonna make her responsible, you know, we're just gonna take her down, 
And so that's something that I've immediately put on the table. And I'm glad that I am around men who, or some of them who are willing to look at, you know, to look at it as a gremlin behavior, total gremlin behavior. But if I had not said it, nobody would have. And the men were completely unconscious. When I first brought it to the table, you know, about you, you were blaming me, you were lying with, you know, aligning with this other guy. And they were, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's shocking for, you know, it's that it's so unconscious. It's so unconscious to want to take down any woman who actually has power or clarity or will threaten the, the show, you know, threaten the height, the lying or the show, either one, either one of those. So, and it can be really simple stuff. You know, in coaching, so many times I've heard in couples coaching at the end, especially, you know, there's all this coaching, all this transformation happen. And at the end, the men would say something like, you're right. I'm will give you space to do what you want. And it goes so unnoticed that of course the man has to give space to the woman because the woman cannot have her own space. And it's just this way to, to destroy the entire coaching, the entire transformation that could have happened. And so I, I encourage you to really like lower your numbness bar to the, these little subtle power, it's power moves, like just these power moves. When you're threatening the show of the good boy and, and the line. Anything to add? I have, I have, which is, it's not related to, men coming together but with women coming together I I held this space where I made a proposal for for women practicing giving feedback and coaching and from that space the pattern became became apparent that the women started giving the exact same feedback to several other women and each of the feedback was related to the particular women, but they started gathering up and saying the same thing and focusing on one woman. And they were totally unaware that they were doing this. And at the end, the question was, what is this feedback? What is the goal in this feedback? And what is the purpose of saying, of repeating the exact same thing like five, five times? And and it's it's so subtle that it's like you were saying, Chloe. If if the numbness bar is high, you will not notice it. Can you say because you didn't notice it? Can you say I? Yes. If if my numbness my bar. numbness bar is high, I do not notice it. I do not notice the the witch hunt between women by a simple something as simple as a practice of feedback and coaching and it just pops up can you say why would your numbness bar was high 
how come? You had this piece of thoughtware. You don't remember? No, I don't. Can you? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, the what we discovered with Sonia after kind of noticing, discovering what was going on was Sonia had this thoughtware of if I'm have if I'm connecting, if I'm to be connected with somebody, I need to endure abuse. That is that's connection. And and so in that kind of thought where I would make a high numbness bar to abuse because it's just normal. I'd like to Mm -hmm. add on to that, which is this thing about the lying, which is I remember as a teenager doing the lying. It was so much a natural thing that if I was going to be with my parents, I had to lie or so that I could have at least some place to to be myself. And I remember this time towards, it was moving out, I was going to college. It was this time just before going to college. And I I was willing to stop lying. I could could feel myself starting to relax because I was escaping. I was escaping my parents' house. And so my mother was astonished that I was not who I pretended to be. And she she goes, I had built a little scientific laboratory on the back behind like a little mini house for myself to do experiments in. And so she goes, what are you, what are you doing there anyway? Because I had always lied about what I was doing in there. And so I, I said, would you like to see what I actually do in there? I'll show you what I do in there. And she goes, yes. So I bring her back to the house and I was, I was doing this experiment about making bombs. And I'd taken a volleyball, filled it with plaster, and I put this explosive powder inside. And I, I had this electronic way for turning to make it. I, I cut the little heating element out of a toaster <laughs> and I, and I wired that up to a piece of wire and plugged it into a switch. And so it's like a toaster, you know, as soon as you turn the toaster on, the thing gets hot and it lights the powder and the thing explodes. And this is all set up. And I put this this bomb, this volleyball bomb in this tree next to the fort. I said, see that little ball in the tree? She goes, yes. I said, that's a bomb. The wire comes over here. She, she goes, no. I go, because she had no idea what I was doing in this. I go, yeah, sure it is. Come and step inside because it'll be safe inside. We shut the door. I said, there, push the button. She goes, well, what's going to happen? I said, the bomb will explode if you push that button. She hadn't, she didn't believe me at all. You know, she had no concept of this whole thing was at all. So she just pushes a button and this stuff hits the side of the house, you know, with plaster bits, everything. There's smoke everywhere. The trees, you know, is just decimated. You know, there's no leaves anymore. And she just looks at me and goes, where did you get those chemicals? I said, you bought them for me. (laughs) She goes, you told me those chemicals were for growing crystals, for growing little crystals in the glass. I said, yes, that's what I told you. I lied. Mm. And it was such a great thing to not have to lie anymore. So I, and I, anyway, I don't know. I haven't talked with many people about their experience of not having to lie anymore, but it's really a great thing. 
There's this incredible film with Denzel Washington called Flight. Mm -hmm. And I really highly recommend it if you're in the evolution of consciousness game world, because it's really this, it's this conflict between having this radical creativity when you're in an altered state and the addiction to alcohol in mm -hmm. this case and the price of it. And so it's an, it's an incredible story, but, and I won't tell it to you, but there's this moment in the film where Denzel Washington is like, I couldn't believe he would play this part because it's so self denigrating, you know, it, he really needs to be the alcoholic and the addict. There's this moment where you can see the demon come in. He's trying to be straight. He's trying to be clean. He's in this mm. court case and he, and he, and he just grabs the alcohol. And mm. it's like this moment when the, the hand that grabs the alcohol is a demon. And this, it's just such an incredible dynamic of stuff that goes on. Like all these things that the people think are, you know, demons and entities and addictions and like all this stuff seems so far out or something, but it's, it's very real. It's very real stuff. And so it's just at this, he, he hit this moment and he stopped lying. He says, you know, I can't lie anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't say one more lie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway you still have to watch the movie yeah it's true. but it's just so it's so important it's just so important sorry <laughs> i i just want to check go, uh, go ahead flight thank you yeah it's done so much woman do you do you know what we're talking about about the lying the cheating the having a secret life Men having a secret life. Okay. Men, do you know what we're talking about? Okay. Thank you. So anything... Obviously, obviously it's not so secret anymore. <laughs> that is exactly the purpose. So anything about that? Anything <clears throat> you want to say about that? I have an example that's current. I've been uh, engaged with a woman for about three weeks, and I sent her a photograph of my bedroom because that was the secret. She's into nesting, and I'm only now becoming aware that what I'm trying not to do is to set down roots so that I can let everything go as opposed to creating a nest that I want to defend. But I didn't know that when I revealed my room and it, and she was like, oh, it's a disaster. And it's like, yeah, but it's my disaster. Thank you. So the lying can be very subtle and can be in my present day life. Like if I maintain, like, I'm not going to show you my room. You can't come into my room, whatever. <clears throat> that's the lie also to myself and then to her. So thank you. Thank you. Also, when it comes to lying, um, 
I, I've noticed that sometimes I, I'll be appreciating Jacqueline and I won't say anything. And it's, there's also an element of lying there. That, yeah, it's also the the, the beauty. And, and right now she's the sun. I don't know if you noticed that, but and it's <laughs> yeah yeah and jeff i would encourage you to in a way not focus on that kind of lying because there's a lot of other kind of lying that is happening and so to say oh i'm not you know i'm not appreciating jacqueline in a way it shines a bright light on you that you're appreciating your girlfriend even innerly and there's a lot of other stories that could be told or ways to reveal yourself that does not shine a bright light on you in terms of strategy of hiding and lying. Are you saying it would shine a dark light on him? It would shine a different kind of light. It would shine a vulnerable light. It would shine a real light. It would shine a, like, you know, I mean, I don't know how many women got this, but it's you sharing that. I, I feel no closer to you at all. I feel no, I don't get anything from Jeff. I get only the show of you're a good partner because you're secretly appreciating Jacqueline. That's what I was saying. Yeah, I, I thank you. I, I hear you. And I was, as I was reflecting on like what you know, because in our relationship, I, there's there's really at the at this point, there's no place to hide in terms of like the mess is there, the falling apart, the doing processes, having our groups coming back and saying, you know, talking about how messy it all is. You know, I was, I was thinking about how our, my backpack is, you know, and all my stuff is laid out on the floor of, of the room. And I was thinking like, what am I, what, what am I really hiding? You yeah. Know? And I'm going to, I'm going to let Mark speak. Thank you. Jeff, you're defending yourself. And you're rationalizing. It's okay to be messy. So, any, I somehow anything from the woman in terms of your experience or something that could help other women detect the lie. Can you hear me? Yes, Habet. Yeah, what I notice is that I numb myself with having the assumption that nobody should lie to me. And it's so helpful now to have this clarity because. I, I see how I'm fooling myself by thinking uh, that I have some moral standards or some this is how it goes or this is how relationships should be, blah, blah, blah. But in fact, it puts, it, it amputates me from, from noticing what's going on instead of what I think should happen. And the other thing, how I dump myself is 
yeah, like taking it all as misunderstandings. Mm. Like as if I'm responsible to understand well or to explain well. And if not, it's my fault so that I don't need to get into, yeah, this kind of confrontation, what you just did now about calling it out, just what it is and not going into this discomfort for the other person. Mm-hmm. Whether it's my son or, or another man, I I have this. I I I I prefer to stay in this known comfort zone of having pain of being fooled somehow. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm selling my my clarity with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very clear habit. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. There's waving hands if you don't see them. I also, I want to add another way is, is sort of this this confusion that comes with like the debate of doing it right. Because ja- Jacqueline, are you talking about you're confused or he's confused? What are you saying? No, about, about um, thank you, about when it comes to like the secret life and like numbing myself against it it's like okay i don't want to say anything to to upset or it's it's really the self doubt and so just in this moment now it's it's i get confused because it's like well i could say something but i want to be on his team and so then i like have this internal debate and then i just don't say anything and so it becomes this like yeah, this this numbing because well, I could do this, but I, I want to be on his team, so I shouldn't say anything, and then I should, and then and then I just kind of, you know, nothing happens. Are you going to say something? Oh, I just want to <clears throat> say there's a a difference between what Sonia is really clear about called a a witch hunt. There's a difference between using all of us here now to have a witch hunt against Jeff, you know, which would, which might sound like it, you said something. And there's a difference between that and negotiating what's, what's wanted and needed, negotiating what's important, negotiating what you, what you want. And so the second one, negotiating what you want is not about staying silent. It's not about being on his team. Being on the t- his team can only work if it works for you. And if it, if you're hiding something that's not working for you, there's no team. You're not making a team by torturing yourself or or abusing yourself. You're not making a team. So, but there's a difference between you know putting it out in a group like this and saying, "Well, you did this or you didn't do that," you know, and everybody goes, "Yeah," you know, and mm-hmm. then. Everybody were witch hunting on Jeff. And then and then you think you get revenge or satisfaction or something, but it's nothing. Between that and negotiating stuff that's ongoingly working, the moment it arises rather than waiting. That's a huge hugely different thing. And Jacqueline, and the not saying by having the 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 thought where that I'm on his team mm-hmm. is actually lying and omitting and fighting him. 
not being it's not really it, you're not on his team yeah the difference is what do you mean by his you know are you on on the team of the line and the show so that or are you on the team of the thing that could show up if that it if he can come through that if he can change his mind about lying and have the good boy show and so it is like what what do you mean by his what do you mean by him and so it's what what sonia was saying is if you if you if you think his is his show and his lying then then you're against like you're killing the potential you're killing the thing that could show up Mm-hmm. and setting the soil to get revenge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you keep on piling up all these things that are not happening and keeping them for yourself and then you have all these reasons that you can get to hate him mm-hmm. mm. And and so, I mean, you know, Jacqueline, to start making this distinction is what we tried. To, we were talking about earlier. It's like, how do you distinguish between this expectation or this demand, or between is if you live in the patriarchal context, you can't distinguish that because the only thing that you're allowed to do is expect and take revenge in the patriarchal context, which you do not source. I mean, you're not the designer of patriarchal context. And that's the moment you, and that's why it's just going back to yourself. Like, what are you angry about? Because that's your compass about that is archaearchy. What does not work for you you know, when you in archi- what doesn't work for you, that's the context of archaearchy. You know, what what you don't want gets you closer to what you want or what's possible. So even if you 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 know you're on this path on this journey and you know you stumble and you the the place to go back to is what works for you as an empowered woman, as a, a live woman, you know, as a healer, as a witch, as a space holder. And that that's your compass, because the way you were looking is, I want to be on his team. Then you're looking over there about what would work for him. And then you lost, you know, <clears throat> then you, you lost in the fog of the patriarchy. And that's when the doubt comes. You know, am I really helping him? Am I, you know, am I trying to take revenge? Am I, because you're over there. And over there, there's, you have no stand. You have nothing to stand on. So that would be... And the, and the beauty of making proposals is that it's okay to bring into a space something that nobody ever thought of before, rather than holding back and wishing that they would, that your partner would do something or stop doing something or notice something or change something. Instead of that, you can make a proposal and the 
probably a lot more often than you might think the proposal that you make is something they never thought of before. You know, so if you could say, if you would ask me this way, if you would say that this way, a whole nother, you get a whole different response from me. And that's a proposal. Then they could choose to have a do-over. I don't know if you guys can still hear me, but the yes. picture. Yeah, if if you ask me this way and they never thought of it before and then they turn around and ask you that way the whole space will transform and you will get what you want and they just never thought of it before and so there's this whole reliance on kind of group intelligence of making proposals for things to, to make try things stop things change things that have nobody ever thought of before perhaps even in the entire history of the human race. And you can make the proposals and then and, and not feel resentful that you have to make a proposal. You know, that, that they don't just read your mind or that they just don't already know because it doesn't work like that. You know, we're a, it's a team. The team is, you know, what I would really like is if you would approach me this way or... You know, stand over there so you know, so that I don't have to stare in the light to look in your face, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many millions of ways. Change the tone of your voice. Use these words. Make you know, speak half speed. Bow before you speak. You know, there's so many possibilities that other person never thought of before that could make a huge difference. Go ahead, Mark. I request a do-over. I'm hiding my fear from this group. And that was missing in what I heard Jeff speaking. But because I'm hiding my fear, it created confusion when I responded. When I shared my stuff with this woman, I had fear that she would reject me because of what I was sharing. That's what was missing, Jeff, when I heard you speak. And I even went along with it. I noticed I did wavy hands when you said your thing. It was like, oh, alliance. But it's like, there was no fear in your reveal. And this shit is scary as hell. So it's not a reveal until it's scary. It's (laughs) observation. (laughs) Thank you for the (laughs) do-over. Thank you, Mark. It's not a reveal unless it's scary. Yeah. I think these are appropriate words to close for today. And to practice with. And to practice with. Anything? Does anybody need anything? I have one minute. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all for your presence. Thank you. Grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to see you. Hear you. Bye. Bye. See you soon.